these ladies that are leading worship today, Shannon and Kinsley, I wanted to tell you, Kinsley Moore, who was playing guitar, um, gave me a CD she produced. She'd, she'd be horrified if she'd known I was going to say this. Uh, but she's preparing for a life in missions, and her project is to support missions. And I want to ask you to uh, love her, pray for her, and download it. It's on iTunes. Kinsley Moore. It's called Freedom. It's a glorious, glorious project. And as I said, she did not know I was going to say this. Um, we return to our series, The Life of Jesus. You know, it's a new year. I, you know, I want us to, to take on a motto of some kind, a slogan. Here's what I'm offering to you for this year. Shake off passivity and pursue Christ. Now I want you to uh, come up with your own or you can have mine. Shake off passivity and pursue Christ. You know what I'm saying? We need a little bit of aggressiveness in pursuing our faith this year. If we want change in our life, if we want change in our culture... So let me commend that to you. Start by buying your book. Now, you can't buy a big one like this. You have to buy a small one, but that'll be okay. Five bucks. I will preach a message each week from this book, The Life of Jesus, Simplified Harmony of the Gospels. Uh, this morning, I'll be focusing on reading 22. As Mark told you, each Sunday, it'll tell you what I'll be preaching on the next Sunday, so you'll be sure and read that in advance. But the bookmark shows you what all the readings are for the week. Let me urge you. You say, I've never read the Bible two days in a row. Start. I know you haven't. You are not fooling me with this spirituality look. It doesn't even look spiritual, quite honestly. I'm okay with who you are. But don't stay there. Don't stay there. It's for you, it's for your children, it's for your grandchildren, it's for your community, it's for your country. You must grow. We need some light in our culture. God's called you to be one. So I'll focus today on reading 22, page 30. And we're going to discover how Satan not only tempted Jesus, but how he tempts us as well. Take out your... your message outline. You see there's the first two panels. There's a verse there, Hebrews 4, 15. Now remember, this is, it's not in your book because that's only the Gospels. It's a synthesization of all four Gospels into one narrative, the narrative of Jesus' life. The high priest, this high priest of ours, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So this morning we're going to consider those testings. Jesus had just been baptized by John at the Jordan River. I visited the place they believe uh, where Jesus was baptized. Now there's, there's kind of a real big developed place where you can go and you have booths and it's... Um, 
everybody gets robes and everything, and it's, it's wonderful. It's glorious. I'm not making fun of it. And the, the Jordan River is very cold, but it's more likely that he was baptized down near the wilderness. And we found, we saw another location. And you, Jordan, the country of Jordan, it's probably not more than 40 feet wide at this point. But at his baptism, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit descended like a dove. And he was identified by his Father as the beloved Son. Have you been identified by God as his beloved Son and daughter? That prepared Jesus for ministry. It prepares us for ministry. To be filled with the Spirit. To be identified as the beloved child of God. And we begin now in reading 22. Then Jesus returned from the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, full of the Holy Spirit. Immediately the Spirit drove. That's a surprising word, isn't it? Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. I thought, that's a strange translation. Well, I looked at the Greek. The Greek word ekbalo actually means, it does mean, it means sent. It means compelled. In some translations, it's led because I think people were uncomfortable saying that Jesus was driven by the Spirit. But have you ever felt that when the Spirit is compelling you, you cannot resist? That's what was happening. And this, the, the wilderness in Israel, it, it is a stark, barren place. Limestone caves and ridges, not much foliage. Um, in fact, Israel does a lot of irrigation because there is just not much water. So the, 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 this desert, this wilderness is a, just a dry, harsh, stark place. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels began to serve him. So it wasn't a safe place. We think if I can get in a a good, comfortable, safe place, I can grow. No way. You get fat and lazy and passive in a good, safe place. Is that true? Jesus was driven into the wilderness where there was no water and there were wild animals. Danger lurked around, and he was tempted by Satan directly. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. He fasted for 40 days. That's impossible. A friend of mine fasted for 40 days. I I have fasted beyond a week. You can fast. I still fast every week. I urge you, choose a day, fast every week, pray. Apparently, the Holy Spirit led, but really, understand, compelled Jesus to walk into the wilderness to be tempted. You think, well, at the end of that, he should go home and eat a big feast, right, and celebrate. No, no. That's when, when he was at his weakest, that's when the Spirit said, and now you're going to be tested by Satan. Have you noticed? You don't get tested when you feel great and full of faith. You get tested when you're sad, down, depressed. Your best friend turned his back on you. You lost your job. Things don't look good. You're weak. 
The word translated tempt is a Greek word, pierzo, and, and, it, and it means really to test. So it doesn't necessarily mean a temptation to sin. It may be a test to do good. It depends on the person who's giving the test that determines the purpose of it. But having been cast out of heaven, we saw that last week by the Lord, Satan's fury has been turned against God and God's work. He wants to frustrate God's plans. He wants to take God's place. So he attacks Christ and also Christians while trying to prevent newcomers to faith. In Jesus' temptation, Satan meant to cause him to sin. But understand this, Satan meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Remember, Jesus was compelled to go there by the Spirit to be tempted for good. If you have this idea that, oh no, only God is only uh, uh, gardens and flowers and wonderful things, and He's in nothing that's bad, you're mistaken. In many ways, the struggles in our life are used more effectively by God than the bounty. The deprivation is used to to grow our faith, to refine our faith to a much greater extent than the days of joy and blessing. We're thankful that he gives us blessing and, and joy at times. But God's plan was to prepare his son, to qualify his son for his work of salvation. And you know what? When you're struggling, when you're having a hard time, how do you think of it? Do you wail and moan and complain? Or do you think, okay, God's still my Lord. He has a purpose in this suffering. He has a plan in my deprivation to refine my faith. God never entices us to do evil. James 1.13. But he will use our temptations and our struggles for our good and his glory if we meet the tests according to his will. James 1, 2 through 4, just be on the screen because it's not in this book. And I told you, you only have to bring this book. So there'll be some others you can jot down. Consider it joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials. What do you think about that? How about that, Batson? Be happy when you're miserable. You like that? That's what it's saying. Consider it joy when you face trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The easy days don't produce endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. So if you whine and wail when you suffer, you're not mature. Because you can't achieve maturity without some struggle. You believe that? Some hardship, some difficulty. Now we must learn how Jesus was tested so we won't be surprised when we're tempted in similar ways. We'll expect it. it We're so surprised when hard things happened, aren't we? We're just shocked when hard things happen. And yet the scripture promises us 
those things. And that they can be worked for our good and God's glory. But boy, that's a, that's a mind change, isn't it? We'll expect it. We'll see it as an, an opportunity to have our faith refined when we resist Satan's enticements by depending on God's strength. What test or trial are you immersed in right now? Let me tell you this. If you're left alone by Satan, it's because you're no threat to him. Either you're not a believer or you're so shallow in your faith, you're no threat. He doesn't need to mess with you. So if you grow strong, yes, you'll get some demonic attention. Are you willing? Are you ready? The nature of Satan's temptation... Satan's referred to in the Bible as the God of this world in 2 Corinthians 4. He's referred to as the ruler of this world in John 12, John 14, John 16. The scripture says in 1 John 5 that the world is under his power and control. That's a little frightening, isn't it? Yeah, but look around. Don't you see confirmation? I told you all last week, watch, watch a little bit of primetime television and see what you see. Were you shocked when you stood back and looked a little bit and saw, goodness, where have, how have we slid into this morass? Because we've been asleep, and Satan hasn't been. In some way, God has given Satan dominion over this world for a time. Scripture says it many, many times. And Satan uses what this world offers to tempt the Son of God, we'll see that, and also to tempt us as well. Now, 1 John's not in this book, so, but it is on the screen, so I want you to see this. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. Do not love this world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, some translations say, say lust, but I prefer this translation, ESV. The desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from this world. So Satan's temptation included first desire of the flesh. And we see it there in reading 22. We continue back there. Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Forty days of fasting. Jesus is fully human. He was starving. So the desire of his flesh was for food. That's reasonable, isn't it? Now, Satan knew the true identity of Jesus. He knew more clearly than any of us do. He knew Jesus was indeed divine God. He knew Jesus had the ability to perform miracles, including changing stones to bread. You know, they're sort of... Some of them are rounded stones, you know, like these river rocks, you know, and and they sort of look like loaves of bread. So he's saying, turn some of those into bread. So he actually was taunting Jesus by saying, 
if you're the son of God. Satan was attempting to to persuade Jesus to demonstrate his power to meet his own very real need. And in the process, to verify his identity. was, Was there anything inherently evil about Jesus wanting something to eat? Nothing. Nothing evil about. So, see... Desire is not sin until it becomes lust. You see? Nothing inherently evil about desiring nourishment. But God's plan was that Jesus would set aside his power and use it only when God willed. Do you think Satan was concerned that Jesus was hungry? He's also not concerned when you're hungry, truly. He wanted Jesus to disobey. Satan wanted the Son to just act independently of the Father. See, we think, well, I'm not sinning against God. I love God. No, no. You sin against God when you become independent. I'm going to provide for myself. What's wrong with that? It's a real need. And see, Satan sort of implying, take care of yourself. Your father hasn't. You ever heard that? He didn't provide for you. You lost your job, you lost your house, you don't have a spouse. He's not providing for you. Satan's implying, and this is me, doesn't say it in the text, you're the son of God. For goodness sakes, you've proved it by fasting for 40 days. Who does that? Why would you continue to suffer? Give yourself some relief. You ever heard that? Get some relief. Satan's temptation was intended to cause Jesus to disobey his father to cause him to question why would you let me starve why would you put me in the place to suffer why he wanted satan wanted jesus to doubt god's concern for him That's the fundamental aspect of virtually every sin. Satan asks, why wait until God wills when you can fulfill your own needs and you can satisfy your own desires right now? Satan wanted to shatter the absolute trust and the submission between the Son and the Father. But here's Jesus' response. But he answered, it is written. In other words, he's quoting Scripture. Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knew his life purpose was to do God's will, not his own. Do we know that? 
See, bread is what we want, what we eat, what we consume. Life's not about bread. Not for God's children. Life's about obeying every word of the Father. Jesus said this on the screen. Look at this one at John. I mean, this one's in your book, but just for speed. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. If I asked you, whose will are you interested in doing? And before you could think religiously, what would your response be? Whose will do you follow? How often do we ask, what do I want? Versus, what does God want? And how much of your life is God interested in? How many areas of your life does God have a a will about? What do you think? You don't believe that, do you? All of it. But how often do we consult God versus say, what do I want? You see how that's independent from God? When we pursue the needs and desires of our bodies, which includes our minds, emotional needs, in defiance of God's direction, what we show is that we, are think, we think that satisfying those physical and emotional needs is more crucial than satisfying God. Don't we? It also shows that we don't realize that the true source of satisfaction in life is every word of God. Not what I can hold in my hand. You need more satisfaction? What does this this imply? Where do you go? We think, I need to get some more stuff. I need, to, I need more in my bank account. I need a bigger house. I need a, I need a, a better looking spouse. I need a bigger, newer car. I need, I need some stuff. And what this says is, no, no. Satisfaction isn't found in stuff. Satisfaction. Some of you that have some money have learned that. The rest of us still think, oh, if I could just get some Satisfaction is found in intimacy with the God who made you and loves your soul. And it's the only place it exists. Only place it exists. So what's more important to you? Meeting your needs and desires for food, money, respect, affection, sex some other physical need or obeying God what's your thought how do I please God or how do I please me what's driving you Satan's temptation always in, also included the pride of life then the devil took him up to the holy city what's the holy city Jerusalem had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if 
you are the son of God. You notice that needling? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written in the scripture. He will give you his angels orders concerning you. And in their hands, they will lift you up so you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. Now Solomon built the temple. Everybody knows that, right? David wasn't allowed to because what? Man of blood. He killed too many people. Solomon built the temple, but the temple was destroyed. Herod, who was not a Jew... He ruled the Judea, though, to ingratiate himself, rebuilt the temple. He also tried to kill Jesus, but he rebuilt the temple when he was born. And so this is Herod's temple, the, 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 the temple re, reconstructed by Herod the Great. And this pinnacle, they're not sure where it is because the city now was, was built by a sultan. I mean, it's destroyed, been destroyed numerous times. And, and so there is no temple on the Temple Mount today. There's a mosque, actually. I've been up there, and it's real hostility between Jews and Muslims. And if Jews go up there, they're jeered at and all. I've, I've witnessed that. But it was most likely on the eastern side of the temple that faced the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley was on the east side and then up into the um, Mount of Olives. The Jewish historian Josephus reported that the drop from the pinnacle to the valley floor was 450 feet. Tradition says that James, who was the head of the church in Jerusalem years later, and also Jesus' brother, was martyred by being thrown off that pinnacle. It's tradition, though, it's not. Still hoping to undermine Jesus' relationship to God, Satan tried to stimulate some pride in his identity. Build some self-esteem. That's what we're told we need, isn't it? Some self-esteem. Honest, I need some... And goodness, I'm kicking stuff up here. Some improve my self-image. Since Jesus refused Satan's first temptation, quoting Scripture, Satan tries to make himself more persuasive by quoting Scripture himself. You think Satan knows the Scripture? You think he knows it better than you do? You think that's a problem? That's a problem. So again, Satan started, if you are the Son of God... Then he suggested that Jesus prove he was God's son by jumping off the pinnacle, forcing God's hand, push God to use his power to help you if you're his son, and prove the truth of Psalms 70, 91. That was a messianic psalm. See the manipulation, the twisting. It was a messianic psalm. It, he did quote it accurately, but out of context and for the wrong purpose.
And, that's, and Satan's saying, come on. Show these people who you are. And see, by now, Jesus is 30 years old, about to begin his outward ministry. And Satan said, take a shortcut. Leap off the pinnacle. Let God catch you. They'll be convinced you're the Messiah. The whole thing will be over. Isn't that right? That sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Why let these people minimize you and disrespect you any longer? Assert yourself. Show them who you are. Scripture says you jump off the pinnacle, God will send angels to catch you. See, Satan's strategy was, okay, if Jesus won't act independently of the Father, if Jesus is committed to obeying the Scripture, let's let the Father intervene for him and prove the Son's identity. Here's a question. If Jesus had jumped, you think he would have been caught by an angel? What do you think? Who thinks he would have? Let me see hands. Who thinks he wouldn't have? I think he would have. I think he would have. Would it have proved to all the people he was the Messiah? People love sensationalism. More of y'all would come to church if I could be more outrageous than I am. They ask for signs. They seek miracles. And if you'll read this, if you'll get a book and read it, you're going to see this come forward. But these displays of power do not produce faith. Spectacle and sensation, you know what it appeals to? Who knows? Flesh. Doesn't produce spirit. Doesn't regenerate. Doesn't transform. You know, years ago, I had a friend that was a pastor. And he had one of these, I mean, it was one of those busted loose charismatic churches. Some of y'all think, oh, Perry's scared of charismatic. I've been in Holy Ghost tent revivals. I've been, in, I've been in the blessing lines multiple times. I'm not nearly as ignorant as I look. But I remember going to my friend's church back in Columbus, Georgia. And there was this woman who did the holy walk. And, and I'm, not, I'm not belittling her walk in the church but what I really wanted to know is how well do you walk next week and you know what that's what you can ask me I know what y'all do y'all see me in the stores and you think well he doesn't know me I'm going to listen to how he treats this checkout girl that's fair what does he drive where does he live how does he treat his wife how does he treat his family how does he live All fair. Because you know what? Me standing here on this stage and talking spiritual, easy. But it's no real measure of my character or my faith. How I act in the community next week, that's a measure of my faith. See, evidence that spectacle doesn't change people is the Israelites in the wilderness. 
God gave them water. God miraculously opened the Red Sea. God gave them manna to eat. And they rebelled against him. Jews witnessed many miracles of Jesus. And then they said, crucify him and give us Barabbas. Demanding sensational proof is not evidence of faith. It is evidence of doubt. Jesus told him, top of 31, it is also written, you must not tempt the Lord your God. That's from Deuteronomy 6.16. See, Jesus didn't need proof of God's love, care, and protection. Why? He knew it. Do I have to prove you God loves you? Why? You already know it. We know it experientially. We know it personally. We know it intimately do you know it see Jesus knew that seeing him rescued miraculously wouldn't produce true faith in people who witnessed it it proved something it stimulates something humanly fleshly but it wouldn't regenerate because that's a work of the spirit of God you see the difference To test God is to doubt Him. To not trust Him, which is sin. Satan wanted Jesus to put His will above the Father's, to prove His identity, to display pride in who He is, to to where did He come from, to, to, uh, to show some pride about what He planned to do. I'm the Messiah. You never see it, do you? When challenged, what did He do? didn't even reply see if you know something's true you don't have to declare it in fact the loudest voice in the room in an argument is the one who's the most insecure you can speak truth softly Jesus knew his purpose was to fulfill God's plan to save the world, not to draw attention to himself. John 5, 20. See, our need is not to demand that God prove something to us, prove his faithfulness to us. Rather, our need is to demonstrate our faithfulness to him. To trust him to guide our lives, to supply our needs according to his will. Have you noticed how I just shifted the balance of power? Has Satan twisted the true word of God to tempt you? God is love. So you can sin. He'll forgive you and still love you. That's our culture's gospel. It's not a biblical gospel. God does love us. But the question is, do we love him? And does it show in our lives? Satan tempted Jesus with the desire of the eyes. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. We don't know how he did it, but by some supernatural method, Satan enabled Jesus to have a vision. It must have included the the majesty of Rome and the beauty of Athens and the grandeur of Egypt and certainly the glory of Jerusalem. And here's the point. See, the Scripture plainly says that all the world was created through whom? Through Jesus. He's the creator of the world. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Colossians 1, 16, Hebrews 1, 2. Jesus had a divine right to rule over all these kingdoms. But, but before him lay a difficult, grueling, excruciating death on a Roman cross. And then even after the resurrection, there would be a long delay before Jesus would actually rule over a worshiping world. Let's be honest, some of us don't even act like he's the ruler over our lives much. Much less this world. And so Satan was suggesting, why should you wait for what's rightfully yours? Why submit as a servant when you can reign as a king? I'm offering you now what God is promising later after unimaginable suffering. You ever heard that whispered? Don't you want it now? Satan was offering Jesus the kingdoms of the world instantly. You think he would have given them to him? What do you think, buddy? I think he would have. I think he would have. But there was a price to pay. What do we say? What's the What's, what's the connection? What's the, what's the catch? That's what I'm looking for. What's the catch? Well, here's the catch. He would have had to have served Satan and worship him, thereby disobeying God and denying his own identity and purpose. By the way, we do that every time we accept Satan's offer of instant gratification. Then Jesus told him, go away, Satan. For it is written, you must worship the Lord your God and you must serve him only. Satan answered that he would worship worship God alone. He would serve God alone. See, when we receive what we want from Satan, which let me tell you this, anything that God's told you no to, and you've still gotten, what's the source of it? Satan will give you a lot of things. You can cheat on your taxes, you'll keep more money. Satan offers you a lot of instant gratification, but don't forget who it's coming from. And every time you do, you're bowing a knee. What do you worship? Do you want everything you can see? 
Or maybe it's only a few specific things that you want. But if God said no, and you're saying yes, who are you setting up to worship? Will you make it too drastic? Somebody said that about my preaching. He's so direct. Well, listen, here's the thing. I don't want to be ugly to anybody, but I'm not more scared that y'all don't like me than I am that God's displeased with me. But I don't want to ever be ugly, and if I act ugly, you can always say, Perry, you're acting ugly. But do we want, I need just some more. How much does God want you to have? I got to grab the gusto. Who said? Where's that coming from? I need to be a celebrity. I need to be noticed in this world. Where's that coming from? What does God want from you? What does God want for you? You see it? It's, it sounds crazy, doesn't it? Do you mean God would care? Yeah. What does he care about? Everything. Will you worship God with your life? Will you submit to His plan? Will you trust Him to provide what you need? And after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time, meaning he's coming back. And immediately angels came and began to serve him. Jesus overcame these temptations, desire of the flesh, pride of life, desire of the eyes, which, which is really all the world's temptations. Which one are you suffering from right now? Which one are you tempted toward right now? We can resist. Hebrews 2.18 says, Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. We can resist Satan. Second Peter says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we have to submit fully to God. We have to know his word. We have to be con committed to obeying His Word, to following His will. As it says in 1 John, when I started, verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me urge you, buy a book, join a group, come to services, Read during the week. Try. If you fail some days, that's okay. Get back out there. Learn and do the will of God in your life. It'll protect you from the temptations of Satan. Counselors are here. They'll be happy to talk to you about faith in Christ. They'll pray with you. They'll have an oil to anoint you if you have illness. So please come. Father, we thank you for this word. But God, help us to pursue your son and shake off passivity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming.